today on the Tearsheet Podcast. And the way that we thought about it, I had a lot of mentors in this space who said, look, if you don't do this now, A, you're never going to do it. But B, I actually think the way you're thinking about this holds rails. Um, and the way you're thinking about deploying this through existing banks is an in interesting model because essentially you're trying to tap into a really large user base that frankly is underserved without trying to necessarily just revolutionize the whole world. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. Fintechs basically have a major decision to make early on. Do you compete head on with incumbents and try to displace them? Or do you go the B2B route and empower the bigger players with tech? Andrew Jamison, co-founder and CEO of Extend, took the second route. He and his firm have built a credit card platform for existing players to instantly distribute credit cards to anyone at any time. He joins us on the podcast to talk about his experience at Amex, maintaining all B2B payment solutions, including virtual card platforms, and how that experience informs what he's building with Extend. We also discuss how Extend differentiates itself in a quickly growing competitive space and what he's cooking up for the product pipeline in the near future. Andrew Jamison is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Before we jump into the podcast, I wanted to introduce you to Outlier, Tearsheet's leading membership program. It's designed for top fintech and financial service professionals to stay on top daily of the biggest trends, the top companies, and the leaders of this next generation of finance. Get industry briefings by experts like the ones we're doing this January on best practices in PR and customer acquisition. Find out more at tearsheet.co slash outlier. Well, good morning. I'm Andrew Jamison, and I am the co-founder and CEO of a company called Extend that is facilitating the digital distribution of credit cards on behalf of established banks. So before we get into Extended, I want to hear more about your background and what led you to um, found Extend. Can we talk a little bit about your professional background? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my professional background out of college, uh, had a choice of joining a Boston Consultancy Group or a small 50 people shop focused on SAP and the deployment of SAP as an ERP platform. Uh, and that's actually what I chose to do. My father gave me some interesting insights of how on earth are you going to give people strategic advice when you have done nothing in your life so far, which I thought was an interesting Tough one. Life. Tough, exactly, exactly. But you know what? Sets you up well. Um, so I spent eight years then. Actually, uh, even over the first 18 months, I sort of rued that decision um, just because I was in sort of bits and bites and and getting involved in, in discussions around technologies, which I wasn't particularly comfortable with. What it really taught me was, was process, end-to-end -end process in companies. And I focused on finance, financials, whether it's payables, receivables, and, and general ledgers. And it taught me the language of business, which ultimately is, is debits, credits, and finance, and how money moves, and why it moves, and the rules that sit around when you can and can't make payments. And, and that set me up very well for actually understanding a profession which I then, uh, after doing a, an MBA at INSEAD in France, I then took into American Express. Um, and I joined American Express in 2004 at an interesting and sort of somewhat pivotal point for the company in commercial cards because they were already the established global leader in managing uh, transactions for travel and expenses. And they had decided to make a much more concerted effort to start going further into the value chain around indirect expenses. And we're really thinking about how they could help companies better manage uh, other expenses, whether it's to do with office supplies or indirect spend. Uh, and that's really what brought me into Amex. And then eventually a year and a half later or two years later brought me to the States uh, where I spent uh, over 10 years. So it's 12 years with American Express in total. 
uh, and really then learn more about the sort of credit cards and payment space more holistically. And I guess, you know, we're, take us back to, I guess, the last few years at Amex and what you were doing and, um, and I guess the connection between that and, and Extend. Yeah, so for the last five years at American Express, I, I managed the portfolio of, of all of our B2B commercial products. So in essence, most of the products outside of the traditional corporate card. And whilst the corporate card was about two thirds of that commercial business, the B2B side of it was about a third but not growing at five, 6% like the corporate card, growing the digital products, which we essentially had invested in and we'd acquired some companies, were growing at a CAGR of 45%. So just a totally different growth. Uh, and obviously because the opportunity was so large in that B2B space in those business payments. And out of those uh, products, there were four key products. And one of them was actually a virtual car technology platform which we went and acquired when we, when we went out and bought GE's commercial card portfolio. We also inherited a really uh, a transformational tool, and that's one of the reasons why we were so interested in that portfolio, which was called vPayment. And vPayment stood for virtual payments, and it was a whole idea behind using virtual cards, so digital cards without a physical representation, as a means of making payments. And the, the use cases for virtual cards, really, if you think of GE as a company, it was all about process automation. And so it was all about an era where if you didn't raise purchase orders, you weren't going to get paid as a supplier. And so we went through that massive change of everything had to be on purchase orders. Well, that was all well and good, but it broke a part of the system, which was that we used to have lodged cards with suppliers called purchasing cards where they used to charge when they shipped goods to different companies, specifically some pretty large companies. And now suddenly you created a new problem because I had on this purchasing card, a ledger of transactions, yeah, hundreds, potentially thousands of payments, which I now had to reconcile back to an outstanding purchase order or a goods receipt. And that's where virtual cards came in because every time you had a purchase order approved, it would essentially go and generate a virtual card number that was pushed to a supplier. And so now every time they shipped you something, they charged that card number. Uh, and therefore, when a transaction came through, we could reassign it directly back to the purchase order. And we were back into this fully automated state. Uh, state. The, the, maybe the more interesting use case, that I think people would, uh, would um, align themselves more closely to is one of the bigger use cases is around uh, hotel bookings. So a lot of the online... Uh, booking tools and online travel agencies, the Expedias, the Orbitzes of this world. What people may not realize is that when you prepay for a hotel room today, um, most of those bookings, uh, certainly north of 50% of them, are actually secured on a virtual card. And that's because when you book a room and you pay on your credit card, it's the end of the transaction as it relates to your card. But what really happens is that uh, online booking uh, tool then reaches down to one of a couple of providers and Amex was a major player in this space and still is uh, and it reached out and it hot stamped a unique digital card number with the limit of your stay which is why when you checked into the hotels it always asked you for a credit card for incidentals because they knew that actually that card was locked for just the hotel stay and, and obviously if you're going to have incidentals on your room bill you'd have to be able to pay for those so hence they are to that card number so that's that's probably the single biggest use case uh, that you see out in the marketplace and there's a lot now also in the automotive space 
So, so with that perspective in mind, why found Extend? What what problem specifically were you looking to to address? So the um, for me it was it was it was interesting. I and there's a little bit of a backstory to this is I never really had anticipated starting a company. Uh, in fact, it's probably the last thing on my mind. I, I grew up in a farm family where my father was an entrepreneur uh, all of his life in a very different sector. It was all in shop fitting equipment, so you know shelving for large hypermarkets in, in France and, and across Europe. And I spent a lot of my weekends as a result in a warehouse canning screws, nuts and bolts and packing shelves. And I thought, well, this gig really ain't that fun. <laughs> um, and so I realized that, you know what, my uncle had been working in, in pharma and I thought, well, you know, a big company seems like a, like a good old place. And so hence, that's why I'd avoided it. I'd been in consulting and in, in an Amex. But actually, uh, a very personal thing happened in that my mother had been sick with cancer for the best part of, of 35 years. Uh, but things had sort of taken a turn for the worse. And, and a lot of change was happening at American Express as we we're sort of thinking about shifting between CEOs. And, and I just got to a point in my life where I'd been in the States for 12 years and I really felt like it was I needed to be home. And so I traveled home uh, with one of my two kids and, and spent six months and then sort of going back and forth every three months. Um, and I left Amex, actually, because for me, that was, that was the most important part of my journey. Um, and wind the clock forwards, um, my mother unfortunately passed away, but, but what it gave me was a tremendous amount of, of courage, only because I realized that more than anything else, you better do what you enjoy in life. Um, and if you're fortunate enough, which I was, where my wife has, has a great job, I was able to step out and, and really take a risk, right? But a, a risk that my wife and I had talked about, where... I had this idea based on the information which I had gathered over my time as an ERP consultant and then at, at Amex, which was there was too many occasions and the workforce was changing so quickly where there was more and more reliance on freelancers and contractors. And then right around me was this explosion in the gig economy. And what it made me realize was the old processes by which you issue credit cards to people, um, frankly, didn't marry up to the needs of today, right? And when we looked at solutions like Concur, where people do all of their expenses, you saw that 30, 35% of payments were going through on people's personal cards. And so I re really quickly realized that it wasn't a case of going to these companies and saying to those companies, let me give those employees a, uh, a credit card, because the, essentially what you had is those companies saying, I, I don't want to give those employees cards because they're not employees, number one. And number two, some of these are just ad hoc travelers. So I'm not willing to do that. And so until someone comes up with a solution, we're going to go and continue letting people use their own personal cards and therefore putting, shifting the financial burden onto individuals. And so that's where we realized that there was a real opportunity. Uh, and then we'd seen also really a, a really fast emerging space which was um, the likes of um, Marketer and other platforms like I2C and Core Card that sit behind the new Apple product. Uh, they were really starting with a whole sort of digital distribution, but it was all happening on prepaid rails uh, and not credit rails. And, and you can imagine no business prepays for anything unless it has to, because they want to benefit from the working capital benefits and therefore get the float uh, before they have to pay their bill. And so I realized, look, there was confirmation in the marketplace because that space had grown so fast. And that's really the genesis was, well, there's the opportunity is there. It's a confirmed opportunity. And the way that we thought about it, I had a lot of mentors in this space who said, look, if you don't do this now, A, you're never going to do it. But B, I actually think the way you're thinking about this holds rails. 
Um, and the way you're thinking about deploying this through existing banks is an in interesting model because essentially you're trying to tap into a really large user base that frankly is underserved without trying to necessarily just revolutionize the whole world. So, so let's talk specifically about that and, and, and selling into banks. So what, what the challenges are there, what they're looking for, how you make, you know, how, how you structure these, these types of deals. Yeah. And, and I think that times have changed. Look, if I tried to do this five years ago, um, it would have been a much harder proposition because I think even as little as five years ago, banks were trying to go it alone and trying to outcompete each other. Agreed. But what's Agreed. happened over the last um, five years is you've just seen this proliferation of technology. And so you start to realize that actually technology in its own right and building apps is actually pretty simple. Hence why there's more and more app fatigue around this. But I think what was really uh, interesting in terms of what had happened was they realized that they simply couldn't compete at the speed at which the fintechs were growing. And so actually their strategy had to change to actually now exposing APIs that allowed essentially fintechs to come in and use their services, but with them still being essentially the foundation, right? And the true relationship being with, with the customers and still with them as banks or credit card issuers. And so the challenge for us was, was trying to think about how would we come to market and what's fairly mature space, credit cards have been around for a long time and frankly, they're not that broken, right? They work seamlessly, they don't need batteries. They, uh, they're now, you can now tap a credit card and do all sorts of, of fun things. But the reality was we knew we would only be successful if we were going to be able to deploy these cards uh, within a bank's ecosystem without trying to get them to have to do their own technology work to integrate with us. And we figured out that their platforms, which by the way are 40 odd years old, right? The likes of First Data and TSIS, and whilst you know, incredibly scalable and, and robust, they were not designed necessarily for innovation. And, and let me give you a quick parallel. As I mentioned, I started my career with SAP and back in 1994, SAP had green screens, right? It was called R2. And you had to punch in codes to get from one screen to the, to the next. Well, here we are in 2020, and those platforms, TSIS and First Data, still operate on green screens. So there's a massive disconnect with what's happened in the broader enterprise resource planning space, right? The Oracle, SAPs of this world, versus what's happened in the financial services technologies. And that's, we found a way, thanks to our partnerships with the networks, right? The Visa, MasterCard, and American Express of the network, in which we could plug our capabilities in and provide natural extensibility against these platforms that are 40 odd years old, but make them look and feel suddenly like they were fresh new platforms from which you could really design and innovate in order to solve for customer problems. That's really interesting. So it sort of serves as a, a UI layer, I guess, for, to the end customer? Well, the UI is what you see. Um, our, our vision really for Extend is a little bit different. We see ourselves more as an Intel inside, right? We, mm. we want to be a processor without being visible. But because we came into this commercial space, there, there was really no such thing as a commercial uh, card app. There is a consumer app, whether it's with Amex or your bank, and you can put your corporate card in it or your business card in it, but it doesn't really have many of the functions that a business would want to be able to use. So we had to create a user interface because it was the only way to expose our capabilities. And our capabilities really was about building a broad gateway, right? So connect one connection into many, many different banks and providing that one connection out 
right, over time to an ecosystem of technology players. And I'll talk a little bit more about, you know, what does that look like for us in the future? But then actually build in our middleware intelligence to supplement what was not readily available within banks or were not readily available in some of the network tools. So how do we create sort of one uniform way of actually dealing and distributing and controlling how virtual cards operate? And that was really the model that we were going after. So a little bit, in some sense, Plaid deals with data mm-hmm. uh, and normalizes that. We've really thought about, you know, how do we normalize uh, digital credit cards in this ecosystem? And, and what does it look like going out to the end customer um, with this sort of, you know, B2B2B, I guess, model, right? Yeah, so really what we're doing with at the moment is, is partnering with the banks. Um, and, and we're glad to say, look, we, we will be integrated at the end of this quarter with three of the top six uh, issuers here in North America, and more broadly with eight issuers. Um, and we're, we're planning on being integrated with 15 issuers at the end of the year. And really, we're augmenting right, their capabilities versus doing any form of disintermediation. Because if you think the idea that you've earned credit and you have now got credit uh, with the financial institution, what we're doing is just enabling those users to fractionalize that credit and control you know, how they use it. Do they use it themselves or do they fractionalize a portion of it and give it to someone else in their trusted network? And can we help them to do that in the same way as today you have a super simple experience in when you're trying to Venmo people money? Right. And so the bank equivalent of Venmo is Zelle. And our whole motto here was really one of, do you want another Venmo to appear? Or actually, do we just get to the Zelle version of credit card distribution out of the gate? And that's really how we're appealing to banks is saying, look, we are building assets that augment not just your existing capabilities, but they actually still allow you to innovate over and above your competitors. But we essentially create this distribution channel at arm and, and add some of those capabilities to, to help with the controls around which those users would want to have when they give someone access to a credit card. Got it. And Andrew, uh, you had mentioned in a previous answer, um, sort of this network of technology providers that you're building as well. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that and, and where that's headed? Yeah. So again, I, I also mentioned the idea of app fatigue. At the end of the day, the last thing that a consumer wants, the last thing that a, uh, a corporation wants is yet another app. It doesn't matter if it's a bank app. It doesn't matter if it's another third-party provided app. At the end of the day, especially in this business world, we have all had user experiences that have been sort of curated for us, right? Companies have decided for the sake of control, for the sake of uh, ease of use over time, to really narrow down the tools that we can use in the context of business. Yeah, and so if you think uh, now of the world of, of SAP, that's, that's why they went out and made a decision over time to go and buy best of breed solutions like Concur, Ariba, Fieldglass, SuccessFactors, all because they had built better user experiences. The point being that at the point in time where we have integrated all the major financial players into our platform, we now start to be able to expose that in one simple uniform API across issuers, across networks, that essentially will go and allow a company, let's say like a Concur, uh, to use our API and have individuals actually manage how they choose to distribute virtual cards through that existing user experience. Right? So again, not creating a net new one. If a company has curated that you're going to do your expenses through one tool, then why not actually have the ability to go and distribute virtual cards 
and have people report on those transactions through the existing tool. Or if you're using a specific procurement tool, let's continue to use that procurement tool for generating and ultimately distributing those accounts uh, to third-party vendors through that existing experience. Hence why I mentioned that we're really thinking more of, of being an Intel inside, right? We're sort of powering things in the background than being a brand out there. And it's really about augmenting that distribution, that ability to fractionalize in a really consumer-like experience. That makes more sense now. So, so who do you see yourself um, competing against? Look, at the end of the day, you, you'd have to say that we end up competing against these emerging platforms, right? That essentially are trying to compete directly with the core issuers. So to some extent, it does become the likes of a marketer, mm -hmm. which is offering its services to other financial institutions like Sudden Bank, Web Bank, and others, right? They haven't had a tremendous amount of success in selling their platform into, into established uh, credit card providers, largely because why would they rip out 40 years of investment if they can just now expose APIs that allow them to benefit from new features and functions, uh, but is still already built into the core of their organization, right? And so a lot of people have made, have made the, the assumption by, by looking at what we do is do we compete with the likes of Brex and Divi and others, but actually we, we don't. And I know that you've had some of these folks on your show before. Mm -hmm. we, we don't because those companies are actually looking to underwrite and provide credit to those, uh, to those individuals that use their products. We don't underwrite. We don't issue cards. We really are there to facilitate this process for existing players because we believe that that's where the core, uh, the core uh, consumers of this are, are sitting with those banks. And they're not necessarily likely to shift because as I said, the credit card process in itself is not that broken. The underwriting process may be broken and other things may be broken, but at the end of the day, we strongly believe uh, that there is a much bigger role to play in helping to extend the capabilities, hence the name of the company, for the existing incumbent players and therefore making credit more easily available, right, initially in the commercial sense, but actually over time, uh, even in the consumer sense, both domestically and internationally. Yeah, I think that metaphor of Intel inside really helps to um, helps me to understand exactly how you play and how you're positioned vis-a-vis -vis some of the other players in the industry. Um, so, in the meantime, we have. Can you do you want to talk about um, future product and future direction for the company um, as you look forward to to growing and expanding your services? Yeah. So, look, you know, as things currently stand, you know, we we we're working with um, the banks and specifically with their customers. You can imagine production companies have a lot of freelancers and, and when productions are, are greenlit, they need to get, you know, give people access to go and essentially go and design a set and make purchases. So, so our role today is very much about, you know, I'm an established cardholder with this bank, but now I need to, you know, push out these cards to all of these uh, freelancers so they can go and make purchases at the Home Depot or buy essentially apparel for the set or think about scouts for locations. And you start thinking of lots of different industries. That's the role we're, we're really playing uh, today. Um, tomorrow, as I mentioned, we very much see ourselves now taking that gateway and connecting into the different technology providers in this space, right, to provide that experience. But actually, what we're very interested in doing over time, again, it's all about focus initially. You know, we need to make sure that we uh, are successfully first here in the US and then we start thinking about international and we, we're already actually in contract with one international player in South America because again it's all about 
them wanting to get that distribu digital distribution. But I do see us uh, over time going into consumer. And that's, uh, again, because I think that the, the process today of, of sharing access to credit, as I mentioned, is a little bit broken. If you can imagine you're, you're a parent in a household and you want to give access to your kids, uh, give them a credit card. Today, they have to fill out all sorts of forms, even though, actually, frankly, if they default, it, it goes back on you anyway. Mm -hmm. so, so why go through that whole process versus, actually, I have my credit card and why can't I carve off $500 for my kid who's in college that has to go on a field trip to do certain things? And I want them to be able to go and buy uh, an air ticket or I want them to go and buy some, some services online or some literature online or some reports online. And then I get to see every transaction and I get to all, earn all the rewards associated with it. But again, it's all about that control transparency that we're looking to bring. And, and you can imagine how that then extends actually into um, what you'd want to do with maybe folks who help in the household like nannies, or you might have parents that live overseas. And today you have to frankly go and use really expensive uh, international money transfer solutions that are either expensive or quite time consuming to set up. Whereas actually, if my folks lived overseas and they're getting a little bit older and maybe their washing machine broke down and, and they need to get a new washing machine, why wouldn't I actually be able to just spin up a card account number and send it over to them and now they can go and buy a new washing machine in comfort and I see the transaction come through, I know exactly what they're doing, I can limit where they can potentially use it. And so I have that comfort and transparency and I'm not paying these astron astronomical fees for actually moving the money to them on the international stage. So. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of flavor, not just in terms of segments, uh, but also some of the areas we would look to try and tackle around that remittance piece, where sometimes I don't think people need money on the other side. They just need access to be able to go and spend and buy something. It does. Andrew, thank you for joining us on the Chishy Podcast and best of luck to you and Extend. No, thank you for having me on the show. Really, really much appreciated.